ideas are garbage. My name is Amity. I'm an alcoholic. I was definitely not expecting to get a trophy. However, I have been told that you guys are pretty awesome uh, with your let's get ready for recovery things. And um, I don't know about the best speaker in the Western Hemisphere. Um, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that speaking is my least favorite way to be of service. Um, I hate it, actually, honestly. Um, I would rather... Um, I'd rather be making you guys coffee. I'd rather be greeting people at the door. I'd rather be working with a newcomer. Um, I get really nervous, and I'm going to try to do my best and try to make sense, and I hope that somebody gets something out of it. Um, so, like Debbie said, is that name right? yeah. like Debbie said, my sobriety date is January 14, 2006. Um, it has nothing to do with me. I can definitely tell you that. Um, God. Okay. So, I come from a fairly normal household. Both of my parents are still together. Um, they owned a home. I'm the middle of two children. Um, they had me in sports. My dad was the provider. My mom was the caretaker. Um, simple as that. And, um, I always had people around me. I always had my mom in my life. My dad was more distant, um, but we always knew that he was there. My, to give you a little more background, my, I was in Girl Scouts and my mom was a Girl Scout leader. Um, my mom was a yard duty at the elementary school that I went to and my mom was a daycare lady so that she could stay home with us. Um, so I always had all these other kids around and um, like most of us, I always felt different. You know, um, I would do all sorts of interesting things like um, I would have a really hard day at school. I would get bullied or whatever happened um, and I would come home from school and I wouldn't show anybody that I was hurting and I'd go into my room and I'd cry. Um, and as I'm sitting there crying, I'm thinking like, why aren't they coming to find me? Like they must not care is what I started thinking. Um, but now that I'm older and I look back, I'm like, how selfish of me to think that like they should automatically know how they should know how I'm feeling without me telling them you know um, and I really think from from doing inventories and that kind of stuff the reason that I was picked on and bullied when I was a kid in school um, wasn't because my mom wanted to be at school all the time at ER duty um, wasn't because I had glasses wasn't because I had health problems it was because I had this self self-deprecating attitude like people would just picked up on it you know and um, it opened me up for those kind of things uh, so pretty much I needed to drink really really young <laughs> and I found one kind of young um, the first time I drank I was 12 years old um, I sold an alcohol for my dad uh, don't remember much about it. I just know that I hid it from my best friend um, for a few weeks. I didn't want to tell anybody about it. It was my secret. Um, and I hid it from my best friend for a few weeks until, this is awkward, uh, until she brought these boys over who drank. And all of a sudden it was like a good idea for me to tell these people that like I drank and that I had some alcohol in my room. Um, so it just pretty much continued on from there. Um, what I remember about my second drink, um, my second, the real time, the first real time that I actually got drunk was, um, it was vodka and orange juice. We were at the elementary school across the street from my best friend's house. Um, 
and from her house you can see um, you can see the big driveway of the school and there's the kindergarten area which is really hidden and then there's like it's like um, it looked like a middle school would because it used to be one um, so it was pretty open but there was this one little hidden spot and we were up there with some with these boys and we were drinking um, and I somehow got separated from them I went back to uh, my best friend's house and I, I went back and I could not find them anywhere and again here I, here I am thinking like oh they left me or something like that right um, so I'm standing in front of on her porch and there's these glass doors behind me um, and I'm sitting there and I know that I'm just I can feel myself weaving um, and then I look behind me and there's her mom <laughs> there, her mom was right there and um, I was like oh, I messed it all up again right um, so needless to say we got in a lot of trouble um, we got her boyfriend in a lot of trouble and his friends in a lot of trouble um, everybody got in a lot of trouble um, but what I never thought was that I wouldn't do it again. I never thought that I wouldn't do it again. I thought that I was going to do it better next time. You know, I thought I was going to do it better next time. And I was, was not going to get us all caught. Um, so telling my story is pretty difficult because so much of it is a blur. Um, it all happened between 12 and 18. Um, I did a lot of drugs, too. Drugs are a really big part of my story. And I think that that's... Um, you know, when you're under 21 and you're out there running rampant with alcoholism, drugs are easier to get than alcohol sometimes, you know? And um, and also, like, when I was doing drugs and alcohol, I tended to, like, have a little bit more control. You know, I, I tended to not get in, like, be able to get caught as easy or something. Um, but what I can tell you is that whenever I drank, from probably like the fourth time on, whenever I drank, um, I got a little tiny bit in me and I had that feeling inside my stomach that like, I want more, I need more. It was that that craving that the book talks about. Um, and I know that that's a really big part of what makes me an alcoholic. Um, and that feeling made me feel really powerful. Like I liked it, um, I loved it. I, I loved the craving feeling, especially when I had more to actually put in, you know? Um, so within just a couple years, I um, I had dropped out of the sports that I was in. I had dropped out of the Girl Scout troop that I was in. Um, stopped swimming. Um, I was by freshman year. I was 14 years old. Um, I was drinking every single day um, because we could actually drink at school because there was this. Uh, ad department there and it was all private and we could go back there and drink on our lunch break and then I could go to my next class and be fine the rest of the day until I got home and could drink some more. Um, so freshman year was awesome. Freshman year was super fun. Freshman year, um, I didn't care. You know, I was having lots of fun. It wasn't bad. Um, I wasn't getting in trouble. My parents were worried, but uh, that didn't really bother me that much at that time. And uh, I was having a blast. Come sophomore year, about a week into it, um, the school found out about our spot, so we couldn't drink at school anymore. Um, and I could not be at school unless I had alcohol in me. I could not do it. And I had already, you know, gone through all the alcohol at home. The parents had taken it, you know, not kept any alcohol in the house. So, like, the only way that I could get alcohol is if I was... Um, 
drinking with the people from school or from the park or whatever. Um, so eventually, like, people stopped bringing alcohol to school, and I stopped going to school. You know, if I did not have something in my body to change the way that I felt, I could not be around other human beings. Um, and very, very, very quickly, um, I started um, drinking by myself. I would, I was getting grounded um, for six months at a time. Um, I was in a lot, I started getting in a lot of trouble. I'm 14, 15 years old at this point, and um, I started drinking by myself. I started isolating, and what what happened was I degrounded for six months. I would do work around the house in order to be able to have like a half an hour out of the house um, and I would ride my little skateboard down to the park and I would buy alcohol I get some old creepy guy to buy it for me and then I would ride my skateboard back home and I would sit in my room and I would drink um, this went on for a really long time and by the time I was 16 um, it was even if I was not grounded I was in my room drinking by myself um, there were times that I would have to go out in order to get alcohol, um, but I hated that. I hated having to go out. It's like the only reason that I did it. Uh, I think there was a period of time when I was about 16 years old that for at least a month, if not more, I saw I like the only I saw my bedroom to the top of my street to meet whoever was willing to come meet with me back to my bedroom, and I would plan these at times where. Um, like I would listen out my bedroom when or my bedroom door to make sure that nobody's walking down the hallway uh, for me to run across to the restroom. <laughs> I would listen to make sure nobody's in the kitchen if I'm going to run out there and get some water or some soda. You know, I would do anything I could to avoid contact with other human beings. Um, it's really sad. <laughs> my story's not very much fun. Uh, it's just really sad to me. And um, and that went on. It just went on. There were times that I would have to, uh, where I would sneak out to go meet somebody, and my dad would wake up at like three or two or some time in the morning, and uh, I would have to wait until he went back to until he went to sleep or he went to work in order to get back into the house. So I would sit at the top of the street in the bushes. <laughs> yeah, I would sit at the top of the street in the bushes, um, and I would watch these people um, take their, you know, get come outside. They would start their car. Um, you'd see it was cold. You'd see the smog coming out of the car, and then um, they would go inside and they would grab their children and they'd come and they'd strap their children into their car and then they'd get into their car um, and then they'd drive off. And it was like um, it was it was like looking at a completely different world when I was watching those kind of things. And I'm sitting there, 16 years old, knowing for sure that I'm never, ever, ever going to have that. And just being baffled about, like, what, what is that like? You know? Um, that was my world. That was my world after the first year or so. And um, it didn't get any better. <laughs> it really didn't. Uh, my friends started changing. I started hanging out with some pretty hardcore, interesting people. Um, it was scary. It was really scary. I'm really nervous tonight. I don't know why. <laughs> but, um, God, and the only thing I had to do to keep my parents somewhat off my back, even though they were terrified for me and worried, was I had to stay in school. Um, so by the time I was 17, I had switched schools four times. And each time it was like, okay, well, um, 
you know, this high school is a fundamental high school, so it's too hard for me because I'm not smart. Um, so then I switched to an independent study where I have to go meet with my teacher once a week. And that was like, oh, well, I have to ride my skateboard there, and it's really far away, so that's too hard. And so then I switched to an independent study where uh, the teacher comes to me once a week or once every two weeks and I'm like oh this is great I can totally do this you know um, and I would try real real hard I would try to get my homework done um, I couldn't do it unless I had alcohol in me and then I would get too drunk to meet up with my teacher you know it was just this constant pattern of me just trying so hard to like do life and to do that one thing that will allow me to keep drinking um, so when that started happening when I was about to be switched to an adult school uh, I started to try to not drink and I tried to not drink by uh, doing other things you know it was never a full-on thing I was like oh I'm gonna I can do this green alcohol and um, I won't have a problem with that but I can't do the green alcohol without going back to alcohol <laughs> the truth you know um, and I tried uh, controlling it I tried um, not doing it on school days my one school day <laughs> every two weeks <laughs> I couldn't even do that I swear I could not do it could not um, so I was a freaking mess you know and um, I was in this adult school just this one last thing to try to keep my parents off my back try to keep me like in some type of normalcy um, and I knew I knew that I had a problem I knew that I was an alcoholic. I knew that I had a drug problem. Um, I knew all these things, but I thought that I was stuck that way with my thing. Um, there was no hope going on. Um, I was just trying to die, basically. You know, I would be riding my skateboard to my adult school. I'm 17 years old, and I would, like, be seriously thinking, like, oh, wow, like, I really wish that I could just, like, roll out into the street um, and have a car hit me. But then I was like, ah, oh, no, I think uh, it would be really cool if the car would hit me, though, and I don't have to roll out because then it won't be my fault, you know, and then it won't hurt my parents. Kind of thinking is that. Um, so I was on my way to this adult school one more time, um, failing miserably in a school that it's impossible to fail. Basically, all you have to do is show up. And uh, again, like I could not be around human beings unless I had something in me. Um, I could not even look at myself in the mirror, you know. And the very few times that I did, I I saw nothing. There was it was just empty, and like my soul was gone. And um, I don't know what happened. I wish I had like some really cool. Uh, epiphany or something um, but I was just on my way to the school one day and my mom was driving me I'm 17 years old uh, because I had never got a license I'd also never gotten into a relationship um, I had never got a job <laughs> I had never done I had not done anything um, with my life and I, my mom was driving me to school and um, I just turned to her and said I need help you know, I need help, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if the guy that lived around the corner of the street wasn't answering. I don't know if it was God. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the guilt or the exhaustion, but I just asked for help, and the next thing I know, I'm in, like, this treatment center. Um, and I really wanted to stop, you know, and I was doing this outpatient thing, and I, um, I still couldn't get it. I could not stop drinking for more than... I could not stop at all, actually. <laughs> I could not stop, and... Um, they put me in this residential place and I thank God for that because there I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and I had tried to go to AA uh, during that time when I was attempting to quit by only not using on the days that I go to school and <laughs> the day <laughs> the day that I go to school and um, I like made it to the door of an AA meeting one time and I ran 
I ran from that door um, to like this little subway down the street and I drank in their bathroom. Um, because I was terrified that you guys would know exactly who I am. Like that's, I knew that the people here would know who I am and they would see who I was. Um, I didn't, I didn't know the welcome that I would get, you know. Uh, so I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, we have this Friday night meeting. It was a huge meeting up in Folsom, California. I'm, I'm 18 years old. Uh, I'm walking into this meeting with braces. I'm about 80 pounds. Um, I have real short hair, like here, covered by a beanie, covered by a sweatshirt hood. You know, I'm just sitting there, like, trying to be as small as possible. And, like, you guys would not leave me alone. Uh-uh. You guys were right in my face. Hi, how are you? And I'm like, oh, God, I can't look at anybody. You know, I'm terrified. I'm terrified, you know, but everybody was so nice. And I don't remember anything from that meeting except for looking up at the wall and seeing the word God and um, cringing. Cringing. Uh, I hated it. And then every time somebody would share about God, I would cringe again. I was like, oh, I thought person would just shut up. I want them to stop talking about God because I was trying to avoid that. Um, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous was my last hope. You know, the treatment center was my last hope, and they introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous and said, this is where it's at. And then you guys were talking about God, um, which wasn't um, good, um, which I didn't think was going to work for me. You know, I thought, um, I figured if if I got that bad, um, and I felt that bad, then, like, how could I ever, how could this God thing ever work for me? Um, but I was scared enough, and my ass was kicked enough for me to stay. You know, I was hurt enough. Alcohol had stopped working, you know, and obviously something was working here because you guys are awesome, you know. And uh, the people at that meeting, they sucked me into a service commitment where I had to uh, greet people at the door. So <laughs> here I am, the girl who does not want to look anybody in the eye, is in the front of this uh, of this meeting, having to reach out to people and say hello, you know. And I did so well at that; they gave me a coffee position, <laughs> you know. And these women would come up to me, and they were like, at this meeting, all these people in my in my eyes, all these people were rich and they were beautiful, and uh, they all drove fancy cars, and they all had like amazing careers and jobs and white teeth. And, um, and they did, they did, and uh, <laughs> and I was none of those things, you know. Um, so anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but um, coffee position. Okay, these women would come up to me, and I remember this one woman in particular, like super gorgeous, white teeth, um, you know, a boyfriend or whatever. Um, and she comes up to me, she's like, hi, do you have a sponsor? And I'm like, uh-uh, you know, <laughs> uh-uh. And she's like, oh, here, call me. And I'm like, oh, God, like, this woman, like, had her shit together. I didn't even stop swearing. She had her stuff together. You know, she terrified me. I could not call her. You know, and that happened, um, God, that happened a lot at this meeting. Like, the women would actually come up to you and ask if you had a sponsor. Um, it was a good meeting to start at. And, uh, um, so I got a sponsor by name, um, I got enmeshed in fellowship. I got enmeshed in coffee after the meeting. I was being invited places. I became happy, became really happy. Um, I fit in, and I had friends, and um, I had a service commitment, which gave me some self-esteem, you know? Um, And I was sober. And um, I went on like that for 13 or 14 months. Um, I had built up all these friends around me. I got my driver's license. I had got a job. 
um, I had got all these things that that I never had before. Um, and then slowly but surely, I started having these thoughts come, come in my head and these feelings come in my head that like, oh, uh, like I I began to want to die again is what it was. Um, and one night after coffee and dinner and fellowship and fun, um, I dropped off one of my friends um, and I was driving my mom's car and I dropped her off and I was driving down the freeway and um, I was picturing what it would be like if I were to just ram the car into the median. Um, and I thought, and then I thought, no, that would hurt my mom too much. Um, and I started bawling. Um, and I got home. And I got into the garage. We had like a smoking den thing going on in the garage. And I got into the garage. And I just sat into the garage, in the garage, bawling, um, chain smoking cigarettes. And bawling and chain smoking cigarettes. And I knew that there was alcohol in that kitchen, up in that cupboard. Uh, and it was calling to me, and it was calling to me, and it was calling to me. But I'm like, alcohol stopped working for me. Like, it did not fill up that hole anymore. And now I'm sober, and that's not filling up that hole anymore either. And I was just, um, I was so stuck, I didn't understand, <laughs> did not understand. Um, but the thing was is that I still had alcoholism, it was untreated alcoholism. Um, so on that night, I got on my knees and prayed for the first time in my life. You know, and all I said was, God, I don't want to drink. That was it. And somehow I made it to bed that night um, without drinking. And the next day, somehow, I got honest with my one of my friends that I was hurting, which is something I never did any either, you know. Um, and somehow that person um, gave me somebody's phone number to call, and I called that that woman, and she met me at a meeting, um, and I worked the steps with her. She started me right off the steps, right into the book, you know. And um, I will be eternally grateful to that woman. Um, she was amazing. Uh, she didn't try to tell me how to live my life. She didn't tell me who to date, who not to date. All she did was take me through the book, take me through the book, and take me through the steps. Um, and before I knew this woman, for I mean, I really think I obviously had done one, two, and three in that garage on that night. Um, so she took me through the book. We did one, two, and three together. And something really cool was that. Oh shoot! I only have ten more minutes. Um, <laughs> well, we did step three, and we were at this party, and it was one of those big lineage sponsor things. And um, so there's a bunch of people at this going away party. And when we did the third step, we did it with this whole group of women that were at this party. And I thought, wow, like I am something special here, you know? Like this is totally awesome. Like how perfect is it that I'm doing my third step right when there's this big party? Um, and then the next week. We were at our regular Monday meeting, and we had done it with another girl. <laughs> I thought I was super special, but it was just something they did. Um, yeah, I know. But anyway, uh, so to speed this up, um, within two weeks of knowing her, um, I was driving to her house to share my fifth step with her. Um, and what I'm thinking on the way is, like, I don't know this woman. Like, I have to go share all this stuff with her? I'm like, uh-uh. You know, but I just kept going, I just kept going, and um, I arrived at her house right exactly at the time she said. I waited until it was time to actually go up to her door, and I knocked on her door. Um, and I went in there, and I, I shared my fist up with her, and I cried, and it was emotional, it was really, really difficult. Um, and then she sent me to her bedroom to do, um, to do steps six and seven. Um, and two really important things about that is that... Um, 
you know, she knew who I was. She knew that I was not going to go home and sit quietly, which is really good. So, like, she stuck me in her bedroom to do that, you know? Um, because <laughs> but the other really awesome thing about that is that I had just shared all my dirt with her. I just told her about, like, all these people that I hurt and I stole from and I lied to and, like, all of this disgusting stuff that I did. And she put me in her bedroom by myself with all of her jewelry and all of her nice things. You know, with all of her stuff, she trusted me to go in there right after I shared all that with her, um, and that was huge. Um, so I didn't feel an effect from that right away. Um, later on that night, I sure did. Walking into a meeting, I felt like crap still. Um, walking out of a meeting, I felt amazing. Amazing, like lifted off, and that was my first, like, real spiritual experience where I felt, where I felt God, you know? Um, and I carried on with the steps with her, and in no time I was working with other women. You know, she had me working with women really, really quickly as well. Um, it's just amazing. It's just an amazing experience, you know. I have to speed up a little bit, but, um, you know, now um, I'm at about six and a half years. Um, <laughs> There's been times in my sobriety where I could not go to very many meetings at all. There's been times in my sobriety where I worked a really weird schedule that did not allow for very many meetings to happen. Um, there's been times where, um, I mean, sponsors have moved away, sponsors have drank, I've stopped calling sponsors. There's been times that I have not had a sponsor. Um, there's been times where I stopped answering my phone. You know, there's some times in, in sobriety that I've done a lot of things that are really, really, really dangerous for my sobriety. Um, but the one thing that I always did right was I, ever since, ever since that first spiritual experience, I've always kept in touch with God. I've always prayed. <laughs> you know, and that is the thing that has kept me safe more than anything. Like, the, the program of recovery is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where it's at. You know, I don't even think that, that you need meetings to stay sober. I need meetings to stay sober, but not everybody does. But the thing with me is that, like, a million meetings are not going to keep me sober. I tried that. A million service physicians are not going to keep me sober and happy. I tried that. Um, but in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous is where I hear God. It's where I hear God. And um, it's just amazing, you know. Okay, so today I, I've had a lot of changes this year. I moved from Sacramento to Fresno um, after three years of being in a long-distance relationship, which is amazing to have a relationship for three years when I wanted nothing to do with anybody that was going to take away my time from alcohol um, for a really long time. And um, I have, like, an amazing, healthy relationship today with somebody who, like, cares for me and wants me to be around, and, like, we allow each other to be who we are, you know, and that's amazing. And... Um, you know, I've had um, a lot of things that could have, like, knocked me off my rocker. I've had, like, financial troubles this year, which is the first time since I've gotten sober that I've had financial troubles. Um, a lot of changes. I've had a, re I had a really hard time finding, um, finding a sponsor in Fresno. You know, I've had, like, a lot of trouble. I'm, um, I just got a new job, and that's a new change, and, like, all this different stuff. But still, like, once again, like, I never wanted to drink. <laughs> never ever ever thought of drinking like since I've worked all 12 steps I have not thought about seriously thought about drinking um, and I'm going to close with um, 
the fact that, um, you know how, oh, I still have a little bit more time. I'm just going to close anyway. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so now that we got all, uh, you know, there. Um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of really cool things going in my life. Oh, one more thing that's going on is like my car is on the fritz, <laughs> and uh, I don't have I don't have enough money to get a new car right now. And um, my girlfriend was all like super worried that I wasn't going to make it here because my car is so like oh, right now. And I think I might have uh, either there was something in the parking stall that I ran over, like a water bottle when I came in, or like something in the engine might have fallen out on the way. But I got here, you know, <laughs> and like I knew that I was going to get here because like I have faith in this higher power that I have a connection with that I wanted nothing to do with, you know. And like I can say that with a smile on my face. If I go out there and it's um, it's not going to start, like that's okay. That is okay today with me because I know that it's what it's supposed to be. I mean, Debbie talked about my favorite quote, which is that um, whenever I label something as good or bad, I'm always wrong. I am. Like, um, you know, I've had breakups in sobriety that I thought were just the worst thing that could possibly happen, you know, and I was so sad and devastated and how dare they not want me and um, super depressed and crying and, like, all this stuff, you know. and it opened me up for this relationship that I'd never dreamed I could possibly have. Like, that's an amazing thing right there. And, it, it, I mean, it's just constant things like that all the time. You know, I, um, it's just it's just crazy. <laughs> it is just crazy, you know. No matter what, um, no matter what I know that I'm always taking care of today. You know, and um, I also, I get to be a part of this, um, this really big thing that's happening in March 2013. And it's called the All California Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous Roundup. Um, it is the 41st annual roundup, so it is the 40th anniversary of this, um, of this con- it's like a conference, but it's not a conference, it's a roundup. <laughs> Technicalities, right? Um, but what it is, is it's about 3,000 to 4,000 young people in Alcoholics Anonymous um, meet in a town and they do this big convention with panel meetings and speaker meetings and all this stuff and like it is just the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my entire life and right now when like I didn't have a job for a while when I was down here and like all this different stuff like I get to de- dedicate so much of my time to this thing you know it's just um, it's an amazingly huge thing to be a part of and it started in Fresno 40 years ago and it's back in Fresno um, now which is super cool so I really hope that you all get to experience that and um, oh, I'll tell another quick story um, something I started but didn't finish is um, you, you guys remember that first woman who I was talking about uh, with the white teeth and um, the awesome boyfriend and the uh, um, the clear skin and the pretty car and like all this stuff right like pretty girl right um, well when I had about three years I was sitting in a young people's meeting um, which it took me three years to get involved in young people, by the way, because I was terrified of <laughs> of people my age. Um, but I'm sitting in this meeting, and she's the speaker. She's the first woman that came up to me and asked to be my sponsor, and it was this woman that I was too terrified to call because she was just too cool for me. You know, like, she was too cool. And um, she was talking about her first experience being invited to uh, dinner, with the young people after a meeting and she was talking about how she went home to change and she like had a 
panic attack or anxiety attack or something, and she said that she was throwing up all over the place and that she was just doing everything she could to try to talk herself out of going. Um, she talked about how terrified she was, and the way that she explained it was exactly how I felt about her. You know, I thought, like, it was just an amazing thing. It was a big light bulb, you know, like, like us alcoholics, if we're not, you know, if we don't have a spiritual solution yet, like, we feel like that, you know. And when I rest up on my spiritual program, I feel like that again, you know. And uh, I, I've been hearing a lot of talk lately about um, more stuff I needed to hear is, like, for a long time I thought that if you had more than a couple years, like, you weren't supposed to struggle anymore. Uh huh. I thought that I had to be like this, right? I thought <laughs> I thought that I had to be like this prime example of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that everything had to be good, and I had to do everything perfectly. You know what I mean? Um, and just when I was like starting to feel like that again, I hear like three or four people in a row talk about that, talk about like how like we're still going to struggle and it's okay, you know, and uh, we still need to talk about it and it's just a process and, you know, thank God we're not all sick on the same day, <laughs> kind of stuff. That should have been my quote. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and finish up and, um, <laughs> um, Okay, so do you guys know that saying that my best day drinking is worse than my worst? How does it go? I always mess this up. What's the saying? Okay, our worst day sober is better than our best day drinking, right? Okay, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> But what I can tell you is that since I worked all 12 steps in a row with a sponsor out of the book, um, I know, like, the thought of drinking is really unappealing to me ever since then. And, um, and the reason for that is is because if I were to take a drink, I would, I mean, that connection that I have with the power greater than myself would just completely, it would go away. You know, it would be dead. You know, and um, for me, like, on 99.9% of my days since then, um, the thought of losing that connection has been worse. I don't know if I'm making sense. Um, that's what makes me not want to drink. You, you know, does that make sense? Um, so I don't know. Bam. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's that it's that connection that makes me not want to drink. Like, it sounds so unappealing to me nowadays. It's just amazing, you know, when uh, for the first for the first year I still wanted to drink, you know. And then I wanted to die, um, which is worse than wanting to drink, I think. So, I don't know. This is an amazing program. Um, I have so much respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, that's why I dress up, even though I feel like a drag queen. <laughs> Makes it a little more uncomfortable, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> and again, if you're new or fairly new or struggling or hurting or whatever, um, if you don't get anything else, know that the solution is in the book. And for me, like, I could not see that solution. I could not hear that solution. I could not understand that. I could not understand anything in that book until I got with a sponsor, you know? A sponsor had to show me. So, um, if nothing else, I hope you guys get that. Thank you.
Thank you.